It is good to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, as we continue to work through this amazing letter to the Hebrews. This morning, we'll we'll be looking at verses 23 through 31 of Hebrews chapter 11. Many refer to this as the chapter uh, of the the hall of faith, the the list of those who shine bright as examples towards all who who seek to follow the Lord faithfully and and glorify Him with their lives. And it has been a blessing to be able to, to dig deep into this particular chapter of God's holy word. And we continue to have that privilege this Lord's Day. Now with your Bibles open, looking at verse 23, please follow along as I read from God's Word. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Hear the word of the Lord. We have had the opportunity to look at many of those in the Old Testament who live by faith as as shining examples for us, and turning now to Moses, the author to this group of believers, this letter to the Hebrews, leaves behind the book of Genesis and its patriarchs and comes to the period of the Exodus and the entry of the Israelites into the land of Canaan, the promised land. The author of Hebrews begins not with Moses per se, but with his parents actually, as the first examples that he's going to give to us of those who live by faith. Now, if you're like me, the names of his parents are not common. Amram and Jochebed, that we're told that in Exodus chapter 6. But it's good for us to hear their, their names because they are recognized in Hebrews chapter 11 as those who live by faith and how they took care of their baby. Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents 
because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now there's an expression there that's somewhat interesting, a little unique. The child was beautiful. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is, is preaching a sermon and in that particular chapter, Stephen reflects this understanding as well, saying a little bit more about what it means that Moses was beautiful. In his speech, he actually says, Moses was beautiful in God's sight, Acts 7.20. So whatever physical appearance this sweet little baby had, I don't think that's the emphasis on this beauty that they saw in Moses. What made Moses beautiful was that our gracious and loving God created him and had favor upon him. We're not given all the details, but his parents, Amram and Jochebed, they, they by faith saw this favor of the Lord upon their child. And so I want us to think about the title of the sermon, The Calculation of Faith. The first, the calculation of Moses' parents' faith. In this act of hiding their child, this baby, they acted by faith, not fearing the king's edict, that all the male Hebrew babies had to be killed, if you remember in Exodus chapter 1. So there was great risk, which Moses' parents partook in and secretly keeping their infant son despite this cruel command that every male child must be, must be killed from the Hebrews, their faith was, was shining bright in that they did not listen to the king but chose to hide their son. And it was even more severely tested when it became at some point three months in impossible for them to keep him concealed any longer and they adopted a plan if you remember the story, placing him in a specially prepared basket among the reeds in the bank of the river while his sister, from afar, kept watch at a safe distance. They continued to believe that some way, somehow, God would preserve their child. And little did they know that it would actually be Pharaoh's daughter that would take care of Moses, bring him in as her own, and as the story unfolds, this living by faith, Moses' mom actually gets to be the one who cares for her son as the nurse to Pharaoh's daughter. Just an amazing unfolding of this story of living by faith. Here we should not think that Amram and Jochebed's hearts were entirely free from fear because obviously, they were afraid for Moses' life. They would, have, they would have to try to shield him from Pharaoh's edict. But they loved their son, and although violating Pharaoh's decree carried with it severe penalties, they nevertheless broke his unjust law. Living by faith, their reverent fear of God and respect for his moral law was greater than their fear of what the king of Egypt might do to them. That's living by faith. People who trust in the Lord will be afraid, of course, from time to time, but their fear of the Lord overcomes or is greater than their fear of man. Trusting the Lord 
doing what is right, even when it means disobeying powerful rulers who command them to do what God forbids. I hope as you're hearing this, you may be reflecting on the last few years even here in America. When something comes down from a powerful leader and it contradicts or goes against God's law, what will we do as believers? Moses' parents lived by faith, trusting in their obedience to God and that over, overriding their fear of this powerful edict of the king. And so, if that's going to be a reality in our lives, we need to pray and ask the Lord to help us fear him, a reverential fear of him, and not the edicts of wicked men. Now, over this period of time, Moses, being brought up in Pharaoh's household, was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds, we're told, a little bit further on in Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7. And you have to think, if his mother is actually the nurse also caring for him, there is no doubt that he was also instructed by his mother as well. For he grew up, we're told from Scripture, he was aware, he was conscious of his, his brothers, the, the Hebrews, and, and he later identified himself with the Hebrews and their cause. By faith, Moses, when he, had, when he was grown up, verse 24 of our passage, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And as Stephen gives us more insight in Acts chapter 7, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, if you remember the story, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He killed an Egyptian to try to save his brethren. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand, which led to him fleeing at the age of 40 away from the anger of the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, wanting to kill him. Now, I want us to think for a moment the reproach of Christ. It's interesting that that's used when talking about Moses' faith. It was not simply he was willing to identify himself with the people of God, although I think that was definitely part of the story. We see that clearly. More precisely, though, the words used by the author of this letter, the reproach of Christ being of greater wealth than all the treasures in Egypt, the reproach of the coming Messiah was actually in the forefront of Moses' mind. Moses knew that God had made a promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 that the, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That initial promise, even if it was in germinal form, was then growing and, and um, becoming more manifest as the years went by for the people of God, understanding that one day God would, 
would, would send the Deliverer, the Messiah, who would redeem his people. Now, if you, if you don't believe me, as we look at Acts chapter 7, this is what we're told is told to the Israelites. From Moses, God will raise up for you a prophet from your brethren as he raised me up to be a prophet and deliver you out of bondage in, 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 in Egypt. And also the rebuke of Jesus Christ in his ministry in John chapter 5. This is what he says to his adversaries. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. All that was happening were shadows of the substance to come when the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come and not just redeem his people physically from bondage, but deliver by the work of the cross his people from spiritual bondage. So the choice was before him, was before Moses. The comfort, the riches, the privilege in the house of Egypt or persecution and suffering with the people of Israel. And like Joseph that we got to look at last Lord's Day, who sought burial in Canaan, Moses saw that all these things are nothing in comparison to the eternal blessing of God. When the time came to identify with the suffering people of God or to run back to the powerful things of this world, Moses, by faith, chose the people of God. Now, I think this is helpful for us to continue to remember the, the original audience, the original recipients to this letter. Remember that the original audience of this letter were tempted because of all that they were enduring as Christians to return to the ways of the Old Covenant. They wanted to return to the ceremonial observances of the law because they were experiencing persecution and disgrace for bearing the name of Christ, the reproach of Christ. They were tempted to turn away and leave, to run back to what they had experienced before. Now, to think about what the author is writing about, they, in their minds, were thinking, maybe if we go back to, to Moses' way, and the author is trying to say, by faith, Moses endured the reproach of Christ because he knew it was of greater wealth than whatever this world could offer. And so he's saying, you're actually not even living by the same faith that your hero is living by, the way that he he lived in Hebrews 11, verse 26. It tells us that the turning away from the reproach of Christ, no, 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 Moses embraced it. In fact, he considered the reproach of Christ to be of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And so, the, the calculation of faith going on in Moses' life, it becomes obvious that the values, the valuable things, the allurements of this world are not worth comparing with those everlasting blessings which are guaranteed by the promises of God. Now, to root this in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 really amplifies this reality, the calculation of faith. Is it worth it to endure all the trials and temptation and suffering and persecution and heartache in this life for Christ? Is it worth it? This is what he says. This light momentary affliction 
is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Whatever you go through, however hard it is, the Apostle Paul is trying to help us understand this this calculation of faith, so to speak, by actually filling in the details of what weighs more. So no matter how difficult this life is living for Christ, he is saying that it is light and momentary. Now, if you just let that sit and you don't finish the equation, you're probably left to maybe have some doubt. I'm not sure you understand the heartache, the suffering that I've gone through. How could you say it's light and momentary when it seems to drag on and it is so heavy? Well, he finishes it. He finishes the calculation in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is coming for all those who are in Christ. It is without comparison. It may seem, according to, the, to your senses, like it is heavy and enduring, but compared to the eternal glory to come, it is light and momentary. That's the calculation of faith that Moses was living by. Because if you just kind of look at all that he was experiencing as the son of Pharaoh's daughter being raised with the greatest riches and education, the reproach of Christ compared to what he had was incomparable living by faith. Albert Moeller says this, Indulging in sin will bring pleasure. But that pleasure is temporary. Joining Jesus and his reproach, like Moses did, brings an everlasting reward and unending joy. Verse 27, By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And then in verse 28, By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. Now, the king of Egypt wanted to kill Moses as soon as he heard that he had killed an Egyptian on behalf of a Hebrew. And so Moses flees. And if you remember the story, he's gone for a long, long time before God calls him through the burning bush to go back to Egypt. And when he goes back to Egypt... According to what God has told him to do, God had spoken, Moses believed, and followed. And so he goes back, and as the story unfolds before us, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. This was after the plagues had started, and Moses is saying, let my people go. And over and over again, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he says, no, I will not let your people go. Then another plague comes, and it seems like he's starting to soften, and then the same thing happens again, no, I will not let your people go. And it builds up to this last plague. And led by Moses, the Israelites kept the Passover, not doubting that God would keep his promise to them to deliver them out of this bondage. Now, to kind of enter into this, there's a, an illustration that D.A. Carson gave that I think is helpful in thinking about that Passover. What was going on? 
He says, picture two Jews by the names of Smith and Brown. Not very Jewish at all, but he says, follow me here. The day before the first Passover, having a little discussion in the land of Goshen, Smith says to Brown, boy, aren't you a little nervous about what is going to happen tonight? Brown says, well, God told us what we must do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Brown then asks Smith, didn't you slaughter the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel like we were told to do? Suggesting that that's all that needed to be done before eating the Passover meal. And Smith responds, of course, I've done that. I'm not stupid, but, but still, this is pretty scary stuff when you think about all that has happened, all the plagues that we have observed. And you look at that, and it is pretty awful. And now there's a threat of the firstborn being killed. Smith added, it's all right for you, Brown. You have three sons, but I only have one son. He's all I have, and the angel of death is passing through tonight. Man, I will be glad when this is all over. Brown responds by saying, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death swept through the land, and here's the question. Which one of those two men, Smith or Brown, lost their son? The answer, of course, is neither, neither one lost their son. And it's because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or clarity of the faith that was exercised in their life, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. So, what silences the accuser? What causes the angel of death to pass over? Brothers and sisters, we are so fickle when it comes to the intensity of our faith. But the ground of overcoming the evil one is the object of our faith. The ground for all human assurance before God is the blood of the Lamb. Those with faith, whether strong or weak faith, were still saved by the Passover lamb because the object remained the same for both Brown and Smith. A strong believer, a weak believer. Brothers and sisters, I hope that this, is, this encourages you as you seek to be faithful and live by faith. It is not up to your faith being strong. It is who you are placing your faith in who is strong. The virtue of faith then consists in clinging to and resting upon our faithful God. And so in a shadowy sense, Moses did bring about the promises of God in leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt. But Moses did not bring the final and ultimate rest promised to the people of God. It would take another child being born many, many, many years later in, in the town of Bethlehem to do that. And that child, like Moses, would also be protected by his parents, by faith, who did not fear the king's edict, but did what was necessary to save him. Now, I want to read a portion from Matthew's gospel just to see how God's grand plan of redemption unfolds so beautifully. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph 
in a dream and said, so this is Joseph and Mary who gave birth, Mary to to Jesus, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This, please hear this, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, if you only find yourself in the Old Testament, you would say, God fulfilled this because throughout the Old Testament, Israel, his people, at times he would refer to them as, as my son, my people. And so you would say, well, that that promise was fulfilled. God brought his son out of Egypt. The story is not done. And we see in how God orchestrating the birth of Jesus, the fleeing to Egypt so that he could keep him safe and fulfill his promise that out of Egypt, I will call my son who will deliver my people. Not just out of physical bondage and slavery in Egypt. No, 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 no. And not just the ethnic people of Israel, but my son will blow open the gates of redemption and save all those from every tongue, tribal, tribe, and nation who place their faith in him. He is the deliverer. He is the one who came to seek and save the lost. By faith, verse 29 The people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now, it had only been about a minute, maybe a little bit longer, since the Israelites had turned their backs on Pharaoh and set out on their journey to the land of promise, that they found themselves in a situation which tested their faith to the limit. In front of them, you remember the story, there is the barrier of the Red Sea, And behind them, the pursuing army of Pharaoh, coming with all the wrath and vengeance that he has towards the people of God. He clearly had a change of heart in letting his people go. And unless God should prove himself to be the God who does things that are impossible, there would be no chance of survival for the Israelites. And it was Moses, the man living by faith, who exhorted God's people, Exodus chapter 14, Moses said to his people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. We need to hear that. God fights for his people. We think that it's up to us. And Moses is saying, you be silent and watch the Lord conquer. Solely by the power of the Almighty so that he gets all the glory due to his name, a way was opened before the people of Israel, the waters were parted, and they cross over the dry land. It was by faith that the people crossed the Red Sea. The fact that the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same thing, were drowned illustrates that the truth 
um, sorry, the truth that what is for the believer, this way to life, is for the unbeliever, the way to death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, this is the picture that is painted. The gospel is a fragrance from death to death, but to another from life to life. The crucial importance of faith could hardly be more dramatically emphasized because the Israelites and the Egyptians actually do the same physical thing. They both walk through the sea being parted. One is living by faith, the other is obviously not. Those who try to follow the path of God's people without actually trusting in God will likewise be destroyed. This is a note that needs to be sung here in the Bible Belt. Many people profess faith in Jesus and outwardly do all the same kind of things that other Christians do. Yet if they do not possess faith in Christ, all that they do will be for naught. Do not be deceived. Just because you are in and around Christianity does not mean you are a Christian living by faith. From time to time, we should ask ourselves, do we possess the faith in Christ that we like to be a part of and in and around? Let that sit for a moment. The Egyptians did the same exact thing, yet their end was destruction, and the ones living by faith was life. And then we get to the great wall of Jericho and Rahab. The conclusion of this section of scripture that we've looked at this morning includes two simultaneous displays of God's power and mercy with a new generation of Israelites finally entering into the promised land. So crossing of the Red Sea was followed by 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And in this brief little uh, passage of scripture, we're covering a lot of time. A lot of time has passed. The first major and daunting obstacle in the path of the Israelites into the land of promise, into the land of Canaan, was the walled city of Jericho. This was under, uh, in the period of time, under the leadership of Joshua. And I think it's good to enter into this last portion of the text by hearing what was echoing in their ears. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. His faith, Joshua's faith, and the Israelites' faith was now being tested by a command that, they must, have, that must have seemed so very strange. You see this walled city of Jericho, you know you've got to get past this in order to get to the promised land. This is what I want you to do. This is the Lord speaking. This is going to be a seven-day event. The first six days, you're going to march around the wall. Now, there are going to be some who have trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant is going to follow, but you're not to be speaking during this time. One lap around for the first six days. On the seventh day, it's going to be seven laps around. And then when those trumpets sound and you're going to let out this loud shout, the walls will come tumbling down. That's what's going to happen. 
Do you trust me? Will you obey me? The sudden fall of Jericho's walls illustrates the writer's point that the faith that pleases God takes action in response to God's word, even when the visible circumstances make little to no sense, seem very strange and probably impossible, will you live by faith? The early church father, John Chrysostom, Chrysostom, said this about this particular passage. Assuredly, the sound of trumpets, come on now, assuredly the sound of trumpets is unable to cast down stones, right? Even a thousand or 10,000 years of one blowing on a trumpet will not make physical stones fall down. But faith can do all things. And closely connected with this example of faith in the fall of Jericho is the story of Rahab. Rahab, the prostitute, was spared by faith. Her trust was both active and risky as she had been informed by reports of the Lord's prior victories she secured the deliverance of her and her family from the destruction of the Lord, expecting that he would fulfill his promise to give his land to his people. Now, her testimony to the spies who came being sent by Joshua was this, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, if she had been caught giving friendly welcome to these two Israelite spies, no doubt Jericho's king would have had her executed. And what we see in her life is faith overshadowing fear. So the calculation of faith in Rahab's life, tie the scarlet cord in the window and trust that everyone in your family that stays inside your house because the spies were, in a sense, speaking on behalf of the Lord, if as, as long as they stay inside your house, you will not be harmed. You will be brought safely through. Will you trust the word? This was costly and courageous faith. And just for a moment, thinking about Rahab, there are remarkable reasons why she stands out as a a testimony, an example for us to look as one who lived by faith. The first is that she was a woman. You may go, uh, of course. Just to know in, in, ancient, in the ancient world, when it, when it came to women, they were not highly regarded, either physically or socially. There were, there were no influences happening from, from them on others. Yet when it comes to faith, Living by faith, we're told from the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3, it doesn't matter if you're slave or free, man or woman, living by faith is for all who, who set their gaze and their trust upon God Almighty. It is not about man or woman. The second is that she was a prostitute. This, this actually helps us when we understand God's grace and God's mercy. Even someone as lowly as a prostitute, when she turns to God in faith, can be used as an instrument in his hands for his glory and others' good. Praise God 
that he restores what is broken, that he mends what is, what is torn, what he redeems. He is able to take that that is lowly and cleanse them by the blood of the lamb, adopt them into his household, and through them display his glory to the nations. She's a woman, she's a prostitute, and she was a foreigner. This is a huge deal. She was not an Israelite. And yet we see by faith, it did not matter the, vein, the blood that ran through her veins, but one who trusted in God. And through her lineage, let us never forget that Rahab was the great-great-grandmother of King David, Jesus descending according to the flesh from this woman, prostitute, and not an Israelite. What an amazing story of redemption. Mark Jones writes this about faith, and I want to bring it to a close in thinking just in these final moments about what he writes. Living by faith means moving into a realm whereby we are uncertain of ourselves, but more certain of God and his faithfulness. In all of these examples that we have been given by the Holy Spirit, inspiring the writer to this letter, it is to help us take our eyes off of us and onto the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Living by faith means moving into the realm whereby we are uncertain of ourselves, but more certain of God and his faithfulness. Faith relinquishes self-dependence for dependence on God. So in this realm of faith, self-sufficiency and faith are actually at odds. If you are in this room thinking it's up to you and you've got this, I depend upon my own strength, you are not living by faith. The whole concept of faith is moving away from what you can obviously not do onto one who has done it all and trusting him because he is faithful. We have faith in what God is able to do, but scripture's focus is believing in a person. One of the Puritans, Thomas Watson, exclaims, the promise, the promise that God gives is but the cabinet. Christ is the jewel in it which faith embraces. You may say, man, this God is amazing, and he gives a lot of promises, but if you don't open that cabinet up and actually embrace the object of your faith, I, I hope that you're not like the Egyptians just doing the same physical motion and ending in destruction. You must receive Christ by faith. You must treasure him above all. Because he is the anchor of our souls. He is the one who has delivered us. Not just this concept of a, a God who has made a lot of promises, but one who left heaven on a rescue mission to save your soul. That is the object of our faith. It is also important to remember that our acts of faith, living by faith, they never end in this life. It is not a one-time event that happens and then you've got your card you lay back and the rest is just kind of neutral or smooth sailing that is not the biblical description of living by faith 
Faith is not a one-time event, but it is ongoing, and like the Puritans would say, faith is a busy little thing by God's grace and his help. Let us pray. Our Father, may our calculation of faith be the reproach of Christ is greater wealth than all the treasures of this world. Give us the eyes of faith to not be tempted to think that the things that you can accumulate, the successes here on earth is the end all. We need, we need your grace and mercy to pull back the curtain and set our gaze upon what is of utmost worth, what is of innumerable value, inestimable worth. Father, help us to see the glory of your Son this morning. May we see this light, momentary affliction of this life. This world is not even comparable to the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Help us, Father, this morning not to look to the things that are seen and are transient, but to the things that are unseen and are eternal. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would impress these truths upon our hearts and our minds. May we walk out of this place transformed by the power of the gospel and those who are far from you, who are still dead in their trespasses and sins, may they see the glory of your Son, the hope of your Son, the, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life found in your Son, in Christ, in Christ alone we pray. Amen.